Whatever it is, that's in there. Whatever it is they're guarding so carefully. Monster Island Resort listeners, and welcome to the Monster Island Resort, your online radio show that goes bump in the night. I am your host, Miguel Rodriguez, and I like to discuss horror and history, art, literature, film, and beyond. As many of you know, I started this podcast largely to give voice to my true love, Daikaiju Ega or the Japanese giant monster movie. Over the almost four years of this podcast's existence, it has been much more genre-inclusive, to the point where the actual thesis of the show is quite broad. My own definition of what constitutes horror is also so broad that I could talk about almost anything, and I have episodes about classic film, action film, martial arts movies, schlock movies, sci-fi, fantasy, and more. As far as I'm concerned, these are all of interest to me for the exact same cathartic reasons that I am interested in the horror genre. The giant monster movies from Japan occupy an area of storytelling history that resonates with me. They are the inspiration of this show's title, Monster Island Resort, and also the source of countless hours of pure joy in my life. Last night, I attended a press screening of the all-new Godzilla from Legendary Pictures with its kaiju-sized budget. I've gotten lots of emails and Facebook messages asking me for a podcast review of the film. While this is not a film review show, I decided to offer my reaction and discussion here anyway. In order to respect people's wishes for a spoiler-free environment, I've decided to split this episode into two parts. Part 1 will be my reaction to the film in a general sense. Part 2 will be a closer look at the film with spoilers. I will give another warning when we get to that part 2. If you haven't seen the film yet and wish to go in knowing as little as possible, simply press stop. You can always return later. 
By the way, I understand people's wish to eliminate spoilers, but I also regret how much that attitude has limited our ability to discuss the stories we love to the point that we learn little from those stories and from each other's reactions. As the great website The Cultural Gutter noted at one point, there are scores of articles, posts, podcasts, and more that speculate about upcoming movies. But once those movies come out, discussion ceases rather quickly, and we move on to speculating about the next movie. There is almost no reflection other than some film reviews. My friends, a review is not a discussion. I hope we can learn that conversation is an integral part of the storytelling process, and yes, discussion necessitates spoilers. That is one of the nice things about the podcast format. Because it is not comprised of text on screen or images on video, there's far less of a chance of anyone coming across spoiler information they didn't want to know about. Just hit stop and you are safe as houses. Yes, I'm doing this episode alone. It's a personal one. You can hear me discuss it in a group on the radio on Thursday with Chris Mowry, who writes the regular comic book Godzilla, Rulers of Earth, for IDW, as well as Remy Tateishi, assistant professor of English Lit and Film for National University, and the cinema junkie Beth Accomando, who will be interviewing us for KPBS's Midday Edition. But everyone will be able to tune into that worldwide in its online format. I will share that when it's available. So, on to Godzilla 2014. This will be my non-spoilery reaction. I would like to start by saying that I had to adjust my expectations in order to view this film. August Ragone, who wrote an excellent book on special effects maestro Eiji Tsuburaya, said it best on his blog, One of the things that attracts him to the kaiju movies is their origin in Japan, what he calls the inherent Japanese-ness of them. That is a difficult concept to communicate to people who don't already appreciate these films, but it is one I completely understand. The idea here is that Legendary's Godzilla film will have to be something that stands on its own. It's not going to be the films we've come to know and love, and it will not have the Japanese feeling because it's not Japanese. For many of us, that is a tough pill to swallow, but it's one that is necessary to understand when venturing into the theater. There are a couple of things that tempered my emotions. First, Gareth Edwards was probably the best choice they could get for a director. I've seen him speak in front of an audience twice now, and he is both smart and engaging. He seems to understand the character as well as any Western filmmaker I've seen. I enjoyed his film Monsters, which I actually talked about wanting to see in the very first episode of Monster Island Resort. It was not a flawless film, but I appreciate how well he was able to work with his budgetary limitations, and more importantly, his pure audacity at taking on such a film knowing he had no money to work with. In general, I am far more impressed by the innovation required to create a film with limited resources than I am by any number of spectacles afforded by a budget of millions upon millions of dollars. Anyway, the relatively unknown Edwards was an inspired choice by Legendary Pictures. The casting also had me interested, particularly Brian Cranston and Ken Watanabe. I was also interested to learn that Watanabe's character is named Serizawa, the same name of the self-sacrificing scientist from the original 1954 Gojira. The marketing by Legendary also seemed to pay a lot more respect to the classic Japanese Godzilla films. 
particularly the Godzilla Experience exhibit that took place at San Diego Comic-Con last year. It was one of the most thoughtful, creative, and breathtaking marketing methods I've ever experienced. I would give anything to do that again. It included a lot that indicated full immersion in the history of Godzilla, including the oxygen destroyer prop from the original, the Godzilla 2000 suit, full arrays of models and toys, and one of my favorites, scenes from older Godzilla films showing on televisions that came out the years those films were made. It was very cool. Finally, Yoshimitsu Bano, who helmed one Godzilla movie, Godzilla vs. Hedorah in 1971, was an executive producer on this new film. I have no idea what kinds of story input he had, and even though his film was less than well received by then Godzilla producer Tomoyuki Tanaka, his presence in the production gave me more than a little hope. Even with all those things in mind, I went in with trepidation. Godzilla means a lot to me. I have very strong emotional ties to this character and what he has come to represent for me. I know this is an American version and destined to be very different, but it bears the name all the same. This trepidation was probably multiplied by my having seen the original 1954 Gojira on the big screen the night before. When the movie started, I watched it with my friends and I had my initial reactions. Now I've had a day to reflect and absorb some of the things about the film and my opinions have matured somewhat. Here's the basic story. We get a 15-year setup that begins in the year 1999 in the Philippines. Ken Watanabe, as scientist Dr. Serizawa, along with his assistant and a mining foreman, discover a huge section of what appear to be eggs. Meanwhile, in Japan, Joe Brody, played brilliantly by Brian Cranston, and his wife Sandra work at a nuclear power plant that is experiencing bizarre patterned seismic activity. In what appears to be a natural disaster that is reminiscent of the Fukushima catastrophe, tragedy strikes. The dramatic irony in these early scenes is quite fun. As the characters scratch their heads and wonder what's going on, we in the audience know what's coming, and it heightens our anticipation of monster carnage. Cut to 15 years later. We are introduced to Joe Brody's son, Ford, all grown up and in military uniform. He is returning home to San Francisco after a 14-month tour of duty, only to be called back to Japan to get his father, who we learn has developed a reputation as a mad conspiracy theorist. Ford, we also learn, is a specialist at disarming bombs. While in Japan, the same seismic activity that showed up 15 years prior begins anew, which catalyzes the monster part of this film. Essentially, we have two monsters created by Edwards and screenwriter Max Bornstein, they have no names, but have been dubbed MUTO, or Massive Unidentified Terrestrial Organism, by the military. Happily, they are not shy about using Godzilla's real name. Godzilla's role seems to be understood by scientist Serizawa, but few others. Some notes of positivity here. Godzilla looks the best that we can expect from a CGI American representation. Apparently, Andy Serkis was consulted as a motion capture expert, and the personality evident in Godzilla's facial expressions as well as his body language gives him enough life that the people I was sitting with actively rooted for him with cheers or screams. While Edwards and company made him their own Godzilla, they decided to keep him close enough to the design that we all know and love that he's still recognizable as Godzilla. He stands upright. He has humanoid arms. 
The dorsal spines on his back are superb. In fact, some of my favorite Godzilla moments involve the three rows of dorsal spines breaking the surface of the ocean as Godzilla swims from one place to another. Those were breathtaking shots. The antagonistic Muto monsters weren't perfect, but they were thankfully given some personality. If you are familiar with kaiju monsters, they are like a cross between the bird-like Gauss monster from the Gamera movies, mixed with the giant praying mantis monsters known as Kamakuras. There is a particularly well-done scene where the two Muto creatures come together in a show of mutual affection that imbued them with enough personality that made them far superior to the regrettably empty and pathetic monster designs pooped onto the screen in Del Toro's Pacific Rim. The biggest problem the Muto have is that they aren't convincingly dangerous to Godzilla. The smaller one in particular looks like he could be snapped like a twig by the King of the Monsters. That's a small nitpick, though. Some of the human story is engaging enough. The best scene with humans is probably the spectacular halo jump sequence. I only wish the spectacle of it hadn't been watered down by our having already seen it in the first long teaser a year ago, but it was still a great scene, and the only one that made good use of a musical score to heighten the tension. Which brings me to some points of contention. I have been very careful not to compare this film to the Japanese series, but this is a hard point to ignore. The scores by Akira Ifukube are so significant to the Godzilla series that the musical component has become integral. Ifukube is even responsible for the sound of Godzilla's roar, which he used a musical instrument to achieve. Every scene is transformed by his music, which can sometimes completely change what one would expect from a monster movie. I don't expect Edwards to use Ifukube music, or even anything like it per se, but the score in Godzilla was surprisingly lackluster. Most of the time it felt like an afterthought. Fortunately, the sound design was impressive enough to somewhat counterbalance the lack of musical integrity. The vibrational bass sounds of any monster movement was rather awe-inspiring. Godzilla's roar was a decent update, even if it was woefully misused. The best part of it is the ending notes, and he's rarely allowed to finish. The noises of the Mutos, with their strange, otherworldly clicks, were also made very interesting to hear. Godzilla 2014's biggest flaw is its unwillingness to play to its strengths. I have been in a limbo between relief and gladness that Edwards' Godzilla movie is not a bad movie. It is better than I feared it would be, and I was quite happy with how they handled Godzilla's purpose in the film. However, all of those good parts amplify my irritation at how little we actually see the monster in the movie. I know the human element of the story is important to people, just as it was critical to Ishiro Honda's 1954 original. His Dr. Serizawa and Ogata and Dr. Yamane were interesting characters who made real sacrifices. Gareth Edwards unfortunately sidelines his most interesting and engaging characters in order to put his most bland by far in center stage. I have a huge problem with making Godzilla an incidental element in his own movie. That problem is increased significantly when it is done to make room for the least interesting part of the story. There will always be the argument that less is more. It's the whole Jaws argument. Edward seems to be channeling Spielberg in a lot of ways here, and that way is one of them. Overt family sentimentality, as well as too much importance placed on the individual, is another way. Neither of these things benefits the film. 
The argument that less is more in regards to a Godzilla movie is the worst kind of nonsense and is totally negated by the fact that the world has enjoyed 60 years of nearly 30 different Godzilla movies, not to mention the scores of other kaiju movies available in which the monsters get their due. They are the stars in their movies. The major disappointment of Godzilla 2014 is that Godzilla, the character whose name is the actual title of the movie, feels like a side thought to the picture, like a supporting character, rather than the centerpiece he should be. If you don't want to see Godzilla, then why are you in a movie called Godzilla? Stay home and put on your English Patient DVD. I had a very hard time with this last night, and it left me feeling quite sour when the credits rolled. By now, though, some of the elements of the actual story allow me to have a bit more appreciation. In order to really discuss them, I'm going to have to give a spoiler warning now. If you have not yet seen the new Godzilla film, and don't want more plot points and details revealed to you, press stop now. I am not responsible for any content given from this point on. Now that I have given due warning, let's break this movie down a bit more. There are a number of Easter eggs for fans over the years, like a moth with very Mothra-like patterns, but I will forego discussing those for what I consider more meaty material. What always resonated with me about the character of Godzilla, even though this did evolve over the years, is that he originated as a warning against the arrogance of humankind following the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The first Gojira is very unique in that it is a melding of imaginative monster movie with genuine apprehension about nuclear war. An apprehension that came from people with direct experience of atomic devastation. That is uniquely Japanese, and something that no Americans seem to understand. That apprehension is felt throughout the first film. Edward seems to understand this point quite thoroughly. In his film, Dr. Serizawa gives some exposition in which we learn that the 1954 H-bomb tests weren't tests at all, but rather an attempt to kill Godzilla. My personal knee-jerk reaction was to be annoyed by this, because it seems to nullify the concept that Godzilla is a warning against nuclear proliferation. But in fact, Edwards didn't nullify that. He just transferred nature's punishment from Godzilla to his new Muto creatures. The bombs in 1954 didn't kill Godzilla, but they did offer a food source to the Mutos, which we learn are ancient organisms that feed on radioactive material. When they come to life, they eat nuclear warheads like Twinkies. That concept might be familiar to people who have seen both Godzilla vs. Hedorah, in which Hedorah feeds on nuclear energy, as well as in Godzilla 1984, where Godzilla is seen doing the same thing. The Mutos can fill what Godzilla's role was in the 1954 original. So, what's Godzilla's role? What they seem to have done is channel the late 60s and 70s superhero version of Godzilla. This is where my appreciation for the film, at least in terms of the story, really earns some major points. The common American misconception of Godzilla is that he's just a big irradiated lizard. This is a grievous misinterpretation. Godzilla is not a lizard. His presence has always been more akin to a Shinto god. 
Taking the original series as a whole, the Odo Island Elder in the original Gojira is more accurate in his description of Godzilla as a mythological god than Dr. Yamane was in his assumption that Godzilla is a creature from the Jurassic period. This is one of the many and most major reasons where Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin's 1997 travesty with Matthew Broderick met its grave failure. They portrayed Godzilla as just a big lizard. In this 2014 version, they even use the word God in the dialogue to describe Godzilla. He is given relatively no backstory other than Serizawa's assertion that Godzilla is none other than the personification of nature itself coming alive to bring balance to the earth by eradicating the Muto. He goes through extreme pains to try to convince the military, who of course want to use nuclear capabilities, to just let Godzilla handle them. Again, for the kaiju fans, remember the excellent 90s Gamera Heisei trilogy? Remember how the story of Gamera is that he was Earth's guardian? Not humankind's, but Earth's natural guardian? That is essentially what they did with Godzilla in this movie, and to be frank, I love that. It seems to attempt to reconcile Godzilla's entire 60-year history with its dissonant stories and give us a Godzilla that we can root for. Another factor I appreciated is that, while the military does the predictable thing and attempts nuclear capabilities against Godzilla, the main drive of Ford Brody in the third act is not to set off a bomb, but to disarm it. The same feeling is reflected in Serizawa's begging of Admiral Stenz not to use the bomb. He even keeps his father's watch, which stopped on the minute of the Hiroshima bombing, in his pocket. All of these things keep in mind the elements of the Japanese Godzilla series that I love. Finally, the Godzilla design that I didn't mention before for spoiler reasons regard his nuclear breath. While I found the look of the breath itself to be a little bit too focused and laser-like, the scene with his dorsal spines glowing to charge up the breath is singularly awesome and actually had me cheer. Actually, unfortunately, I think it was more like me saying, finally, but I digress. All of these great things aside, Gareth Edwards seems reluctant to stay with the titular character as well as his antagonists. Is he embarrassed to show this film? Does he secretly harbor some resentment about making another monster movie? To be clear, I'm not saying the movie should only be Godzilla and no human beings. I'm just saying the balance here is painfully skewed in favor of the people, and that Godzilla himself, as I said before, is totally incidental. To add insult to injury, Edwards' directorial choice of cutting away from the monsters at the very moment they're about to deliver the scenes we actually paid to see, a technique that happens on more than one painful occasion, caused me to turn to my friend Raimi in the seat next to me and actually say aloud that I was getting pretty impatient with this. Every scene with the monsters and the monster battles is constantly interrupted by going back to scenes of humans doing human things, things I can't even remember a day later because I got so frustrated that I just didn't care. At the TCM Classic Film Festival, Gareth Edwards talked about the great characters in the original Gojira film from 1954 and said that his movie would also be character-centric. That is not a bad thing, and not a thing I'm complaining about. To illustrate my point, I'm going to refer to that very same 1954 Gojira. Yes, it is mostly a character film. Yes, the monster only appears a couple of times. But when he does, 
he is the focal point and the star of the show. His second appearance in Tokyo lasts nearly 15 minutes of breathtaking Tsuburaya-created carnage in which there was almost no cutting to humans. It is pure Godzilla for the entire time, making his way from the water to the Japanese parliamentary diet building and everywhere in between, leaving destruction and a sea of flames in his path. In the 2014 Godzilla, we only seem to get momentary snapshots of every time monsters are on screen. Even in the climax, I was left feeling disappointed and completely underwhelmed by a lack of what could have been. In the balance of these major disappointments, coupled with the elements I did appreciate, I'd have to say Godzilla is a decent film overall. I liked it significantly better than I liked Godzilla Final Wars, but I probably like every other Toho Godzilla movie more than I like this one. If I were to compare it to Tristar's 1997 Abomination, then I have no choice but to call this an utter masterpiece. But why set the bar so abysmally low? Happily, this film ends with the classic shot of Godzilla returning to the water, and the news screens announcing, King of the Monsters, did Godzilla save the city? In their lower thirds. It felt almost like watching a Godzilla movie. And for that, I have to say I am impressed with what Gareth Edwards, a new filmmaker working with a budget this size for the very first time, has been able to accomplish. It should be accessible enough for Godzilla newbies to enjoy, and there are elements for seasoned veterans to appreciate as well. I just want to end on one point. For those of you who go around saying, this is Godzilla as we always wanted him, or this is the Godzilla we've been waiting for, or making references that call the effects in the original series hokey or cheesy. I only have to say that I pity and am sorry for your limited imaginations and your inability to see the medium of film as an art that takes different forms. It can be representational and doesn't have to attempt to fool you into thinking it is real. Consider interpretive dance, kabuki, woodcuts, paper puppet shows, cutout shows, or even the Muppets. They are all art forms that bring characters to life with the combined efforts of the audience imagination. Imagination is one of our greatest gifts, but few people seem to want to use it. I urge everyone who hears this podcast to see the documentary Bringing Godzilla Down to Size in order to get just a glimpse of just what goes into making those effects of a traditional Godzilla movie with a costumed monster and a very detailed miniature city. It is nothing short of marvelous. With that in mind, I'm going to sign off here, saying, go out and enjoy this new Godzilla movie, but please try to check out some of the classics that are becoming more and more readily available on DVD and Blu-ray. Until next time, stay scared. Stay <laughs> scared.